0: alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan,
1: and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to personally invite you to be part of our next workshop coming up June 24th through the 26th in Texas. So call us today at 210-822-8201 or visit gatewaymen.com.
0: Your hosts for Pure Sex Radio are Jonathan Doherty and Stephen Cervantes. Jonathan is the director of Be Broken Ministries and founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop for Men. Stephen is the founder of the Hope Counseling Center. Visit us online at puresexradio.com. And now, please welcome Jonathan and Stephen on Pure Sex Radio. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this week's edition
1: of the Pure Sex Radio Broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan. I'm here with Stephen. Stephen, how are you today? I am smiling with delight today. Excellent. Well, folks, before we get started, I just want to remind you, as we do every now and then, that we are a listener-supported broadcast. And what that means is that what you're hearing right now is uh, due to the generosity of those who decide to come alongside and partner with us financially. That's the way we are able to produce these programs and get them distributed out through the various channels that we have as far as both traditional radio stations, as well as uh, all around the world through our various podcast distributors. So if you would like to learn about the various ways that you can come alongside and partner with us in this ministry, simply go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate button. Well, Stephen, I'm I'm excited about this week's program because uh, we're going to be looking at, at some statements and just just all kinds of comments that we find get floated around in what we might call the addiction community or the addiction recovery community. So why don't you take it from here and, and let our listeners know where we're going to be diving in right. this week.
2: Right, so everybody's heard of AA and 12 Steps and support groups. And what's helpful about a group is that It's community. It's learning. And I don't know if you'd agree, but I think we learn faster in a group or in a Mm -hmm. class or with others. And so some people go, I'm just going to do this by myself. Well, you know, that's the slow, hard journey, and mostly you get messed up alone.
1: Yeah, it never never succeeds in the way that people would like to expect success to look like and so in community we're better we get smarter
2: we share ideas it's helpful so we always advocate find a group find a support group Mm -hmm. i mean even the spiritual equivalent is don't forsake meeting together have fellowship one another get Mm -hmm. together once a week on sunday remind yourself of the mission so so support groups kind of parallel or mimic spiritual groups, church. And in those groups, you hear things said. And it's just interesting. I've tried to capture some of these things that people have said. And so I want to make a comment. And then I want you, Jonathan, to tell me what you think, what comes to mind. And so one guy came in and said to me, I often have to remind myself the disease is stronger than I am now you may or may not believe addiction is a disease, okay that's another discussion for another day, but let's just assume we're going to call it a disease, and you're not going to. you're going to go, okay, whatever this big, ugly thing that's that's grown and become overwhelming, we're using disease for this conversation and is I think for the
1: sake of of putting that in context, these are comments that we hear, so we're, right. we're not exactly. here necessarily to pick apart the the right Truth or wrong
2: truthful, yeah, truthful there you fal- go. yeah sure. so so the disease i have is stronger than i am
1: how does that make any sense uh, well because it's how it it's how it actually manifests in your life i mean if you think about it when a person finally comes to the point of admitting they are addicted how can they not admit that this thing is stronger than i am hmm. it's been proven over and over and over in their life by the very state of where they are in their life. And it's proven to win
2: over my will, my want, my wish. Yeah.
1: So this isn't actually, I mean, to some, it might seem like, wait a second. No, no, no. We're, we're supposed to be stronger than this. We're supposed to be. And, and that's fine if you, if you think that, but you know, I would even, I would even sort of parallel this, you know, and if you put it into sort of the spiritual context, you could say the sin is stronger than I am. And that's wow. true. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't, in myself, if I go toe-to-toe with sin, guess who wins? <laughs> Not me. So I was going to say, how is this helpful? Because that's a perfect the
2: way you're framing this. This disease I have is stronger than I am. How How come that's helpful to think that or say that? Or for one, Addict to say to another, you know, the disease is stronger than you are. How's that a helpful thing?
1: Well, because I think there's the delusion that comes when you're in isolation and you're alone that says, "No, I can, I can beat this." You know, I'm strong enough. And mm-hmm. by the way, isn't that the isn't that the message we hear in the culture? You're strong. You're you're strong enough. You can handle anything. And I think there's a there's a dose of reality that's necessary in in a statement like this that says. Hey, man, you need to embrace some humility. You need to recognize your limitations. You need to understand that you're not as strong as you think you are. And I think that's actually helpful because it breaks down that false sense of power, that false sense of strength that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and and conquer this thing.
2: Mm. So the next guy came up to me and said... He said, I told my sponsor, you know, I am, I'm having new feelings and, and sometimes I'm angry and sometimes I'm mad and sometimes I'm lonely and sad. And, and his sponsor said, hey, just remind yourself, you're a sex addict. And that's what it feels like. And, and, and so let's think about this statement a minute. If you've developed a sexual addiction how good are you at identifying feelings and knowing feelings and being surprised at time and being overwhelmed at time and being not sure at time and even feeling new things? As you get healthier, He, his sponsor said, my sponsor told me this and it helped me. Hey, I'm a sex addict. And that's how being a sex addict feels. How does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, and and uh, I, I know we're not trying to pick apart these statements, but I, this one just... It's it's tough for me because it's an identity statement and I don't like it, Um, you know, because, uh, you know, I started my own journey with the classical view like this, which is I am a sex addict. Mm. And then I feel like I was moved out of that to be able to say something more accurate, I believe, in terms of what was happening, which is I am addicted to sex, and it changes from an identity statement to a behavioral statement. And so Okay, that's good. But but here's the thing. In terms of what this guy said, let it, me say it another way. Yeah. So
2: tell me if this gets underneath that radar of the first one. I have a disease and that's how it feels. This is how it feels. And that's what I was going to say is
1: so that was just my simple little sidebar commentary on the identity statement. But again, in just addressing how this person what this statement is, what is what to me the emphasis ultimately and that's why i put the little sidebar context there because i actually think the emphasis of this statement is on how it feels yes yes and so let's not get let's not get too bogged down with the identity aspect of the statement because the reality is is i can i, I can also agree with that that listen when you are drowning in compulsive sexual acting mm. out behaviors it does feel like I can only be identified as a sex That's how it feels. It feels like I'm stuck in this identity mm-hmm. of being a sex addict.
2: Well, and, and if you've developed an addiction, you're not very emotionally aware, mm-hmm. in touch, sophisticated. So you're going to feel lots of things, bad things and good things. And I think, I think this guy was saying something like he was feeling bad. And I think his sponsor said... Hey, that's how it feels when you mm. do stupid things. It just feels bad. So why are you acting like you're gonna have a, a good feeling when you've been doing a lot of dumb things? And that's I would
1: how it feels. And I would even push this statement a little further and you know, if if let's say I were this person's sponsor, I would I would actually push it toward the the process and say, That's how recovery feels. I mean oh, that's when good. you're starting yeah. to push against the things that you've just never pushed against before it's going to feel difficult. It's going to feel, you're going to feel bad. You're going to have hard days. You're going to feel like you're drowning, like you can't get out of that well. You know what I mean? So that's how recovery feels. Mm-hmm. And that's the other false notion that I think a lot of people have in the addiction recovery community. The people that go into recovery is that, hey, now that I've admitted, now that I've confessed, then it's smooth sailing, right? And it's like, no, it's difficult.
2: There's a whole new world to discover, right? Right. And so one guy said, you know, I, I get scared sometimes. Uh, I get lonely sometimes. I, I don't like the way I feel. And so his sponsor said, hey, remember, it'll pass. Mm-hmm. Just tell yourself it'll pass. You're not going to stay in this emotional state. It'll pass.
1: And see, I think there's a there's a huge amount of hope in this statement mm-hmm. because what it's saying is you know, we, we talk about the negativity a lot of times of the idea of white-knuckling it. And I agree I agree in the sense that we don't want to just be in a in a hang-on mode for the sake of hanging on and thinking that that's actually going to produce transformation. But I think what this statement is saying is hang on a little longer, you know? You feel like you can't resist. You feel like—and and all those feelings, if you start to think of feelings as like waves in the ocean— They all eventually crash into the shore. So it's like, can you can you wait a little longer? It'll pass. This this feeling will pass. Mm -hmm. This temptation will pass. This anxiety will pass. Just just you know, it it gives a it gives hope and it also inspires patience. You know, endurance is good. It's a good quality to.
2: Yeah, you got to go to the next thing, and you have to Mm -hmm. get to the end, and and you have to know the good feelings pass and the bad feelings pass. Right, Mm -hmm. we will stay on the mountaintop and. We don't have to stay in the valley. Yeah. So this next one was interesting because this guy was talking to his sponsor and said, you know, I got a few things. I don't know if I should talk about them or not.
1: We hear that all the time. so his
2: sponsor says, hey, you do know, your secrets will kill you. Your secrets will kill you.
1: Uh, i've written a book about this uh, <laughs> actually entitled secrets um and and i absolutely agree with this statement because I do think that uh it's the idea of keeping things in the dark and and we know that um you know from the spiritual perspective, sin grows in the dark, so it doesn't it can't live in the light and so if you keep secrets uh it it not only just not only will it kill you it kills relationships. Wouldn't you agree with that, that if, that when you, have, when you begin to hide, it's not just damaging to you. It, it will destroy and, and damage relationships, because to have a healthy relationship, it's built on trust, and trust is built on the truth, and truth is founded in the light. So it's kind of like if you keep kind of moving this thing backwards, well, if you're keeping secrets— then you're not in the light if you're not in the light then you're mm. not being fully honest with yourself and with others and if you're not being fully honest with yourself and your others you're not you're not encouraging trust in a relationship and if you're not encouraging trust in a relationship then you're going to not have a healthy relationship
2: you know it's good and i was just thinking the whole I want to talk at some point about secrets, just have a whole program on secrets and living in another world, Mm -hmm. you know, in the unknown and the power of living in a secret
1: place. And why it's so attractive, why it seems to be so tempting to do that. And useful and long
2: and deep. And I mean, there's lots of aspects to the secrets that we keep. So one gentleman said to me, I have to make this admission, um, And I'm going to say this, and I want you to define this last word that I say so that we're all on the same page, and then I want you to address it, okay? This gentleman said, I am powerless over my lusts. I am powerless over the lust that rises in me. And so,
1: you want me to define lust, or yes, tell you? What I think? Would
2: you, so people know what are we talking about? What does that word yeah. mean? And, and
1: I think it's good to define that because you know, I think of it now in our context here. I'm thinking of it in terms of our sexual lust. Okay. And so, in that regard, lust to me is defined as the the desire to take, to consume, to um, to point toward me and my pleasure, my my um, uh, selfishness. So, mm-hmm. so to me, that's the major directional push of lust: is me, me, me. So I don't want anybody to think that sexual desire or sexual feelings is wrong because that's just part of being human. We're male and female, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea of lust is saying, I want to take those desires and I want to use you, use your image, use my fantasies of you, in order to take in order to consume. So whereas I, I believe sexual feelings and sexual desires were meant by God to be a gift that we give to the one person in whom we've committed our lives to in marriage, that's a beautiful thing. But lust turns that and turns it into a very ugly thing that says, no, I just want to use you. I want to use your body. I want to use your image. And I want to use that for my own... Yeah, like a taking,
2: right? Yeah. But but now, now comment on the statement, because... You know, it's funny. I'm writing these words as you're talking. I'm thinking, appetite. What is lust? Want. What is lust? Pleasure. What is lust? Will. But, you know. And so then, make. What do you think? I am powerless. If someone says I'm powerless over
1: lust, how's that helpful? It, well, what it does is it goes. It, it it ties in real closely with the first statement we we heard, which was the disease is stronger than I am. And what it does is it just, again, it just shows us our limitations. I think we have so, we've gotten so consumed in our society with this idea that we are the supreme, that we are Hmm. the, the God, so to speak. In other words, it's, it's creating this idea that if you, if you dream it, it can happen. I mean, and so we've got this crazy idea that we are limitless and I think what this is doing is saying, I'm recognizing where my power ends. And my power ends when it comes, when I come face to face on my own with my lust, guess what? It beats me up. Mm. I don't win. And even if you have those periodic yeah. moments where you say no, what this is saying is, is, I'm realizing I need help outside of myself in order to actually overcome this thing that's within me that wants to keep consuming people's bodies and images and, and taking
2: that's good. And if I'm powerless, then I got to go find a source of power, mm-hmm. right? Good. <clears throat> the next one goes like this. At first, it fills a need, and then it becomes a practice. So, whatever acting out behavior we're doing, at first, it fills a need for attention, to not be lonely, to feel good, to get away from. At first, it fills a need. And then it becomes a practice
1: well and this is this ties in really well with what we often what we often teach people I'm sorry. You know, with what we often teach people about the idea that uh, there's always a legitimate need underneath yes. what we end up doing, so that's why that's a lot of times why this ties back into um uh, your childhood and, and those kind of things. Where did this begin? Why did you start isolating? Why did you start disconnecting? What were you, Because there's that sense of I'm lonely or I, I, I want to feel, uh, I need affection. I want to feel accepted. I want to be included. I, and, and so those needs are then... what we're, Real needs. Real, real needs emotional needs. needs. that Then we're trying yeah. to fulfill them in ways that aren't healthy. But how does a, how does a 12-year-old know that that's not healthy? No, that's he, a he's, good point. He's trying he's he's trying to grasp anything in life that can give him some sense of comfort, acceptance and inclusion. Yeah. If life
2: is painful, you're rejected, I want comfort and...
1: and so what this is saying is that the the need is good. Where I've maybe gone to try to fulfill that isn't so healthy, and then it becomes a habit or a practice. And that's what we get locked into. And
2: that's any addiction, yeah. right? And because then they ho- you could drink a glass of wine and mm-hmm. oh it just makes you feel fine but then it becomes a practice
1: and-, and and I would even circle this back around and say and then when it becomes a practice you lose your understanding of what the original need was mm, that's right cuz you get so consumed with the practice that then you, you don't even know why did I originally why am I doing this
2: and i'm so caught up in this Gambling habit or drug mm-hmm. or sexual, whatever it is. Yeah. At first it fills a need and then it becomes a bad practice, right? Okay. So the other thing that you hear in the addiction community is the word halt. Mm-hmm. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And then we add a few extra, right? Bored and stressed, we add B.S. on ours. So halt B.S. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, too bored in life, too stressed in life.
1: And I've actually added two more S's. Oh, have uh, you? Okay. So it also includes sad. Okay. And I think scared it can ah. be other it can be other trigger things because I do think sometimes fear is a trigger because we 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 pull away. We want to feel some comfort in that fear, and uh, so anyway, there's but but the the point here is that our what we want to try to do with the, this idea of halt and then bored, stressed, scared, and sad is it, it ties back into that idea of how does this feel? And, and are you able to tap into your emotional struggle and the emotions that tend to set you up to be more vulnerable to the sexual acting out? So if you start realizing, I have a, I have a, a long pattern of when I feel sad— I go into my sexual acting out behaviors. This starts to clue you in to the deeper issues of what's going on, rather than just going, "Man, I just need to stop looking at porn." How can I just stop looking at porn? And so a guy goes on a journey. He stops looking at porn, and he's still incredibly sad and has the and continues yes. to have the deep, deep struggle with temptation. So we want to try to. This helps tap into kind of the deeper needs. I think that's emotionally, good.
2: that's good. That they're the real needs. Go back to the beginning. What are the real needs? that this became, that you picked up this bad solution, right?
1: And then I think also what it does is, let's say sadness is one of those triggers. Then when you recognize that you've tied sadness into your practice of sexual acting out, and you've realized that that practice of sexual acting out is not legitimately helping you deal with the sadness you can start exploring healthier ways of actually dealing with the sadness. And so it starts to help you redirect and steer towards. So it's not just about saying, oh, good. Now I know that when I'm sad, you know, I'm likely going to be tempted to act out. No, it can be now, well, when I'm sad, what's the different thing I'm going to do? It it helps you formulate a plan for, okay, where will I go? What's healthier ways to deal with sadness than going and looking at porn?
2: Yes, that's good. Because what's the deeper need? So a guy once told me this. He said, growing up, no one liked me. And so I decided I'm not going to have any friends. I'm not going to connect to people. You don't like me, I don't like you. Mm -hmm. Right? You don't have time for me, I don't have time for you. You put up with me, I put up with you. People don't like me, so I'm not going to like them. I'm not going to connect with them.
1: I'm not going to get close to them. Comments? Uh, this is excuse talk. And it's, I think it's very, very—and I'm not saying that those feelings aren't real. I'm not even saying that the statement isn't real to a point. There may actually be people that don't like this guy. But um, what is he doing to find new friends? What is he doing to make new, new And the reason I say this is excuse talk is because this is the victim mindset that I think many addicted people get into is, look at me. I'm, I'm broken. I'm a mess. Poor me. Nobody likes me. And I know this. I mean, some people might be offended by yeah, what i Yeah, this is pretty it harsh. Might, it might sound pretty harsh. But listen, I'm only saying the things that had to be said to me to get me to break out of the victim, selfish, self-centered mindset that addicted people get into. But at first you can
2: can console and confront oh, absolutely. And, and nurture and love, but it, but if the, somebody keeps us all of their lives, they never get free, right? That's your point. Yeah.
1: And there has to be a challenge at some point that says, okay, you're saying nobody likes you. You're saying nobody's connecting with you. So my question is, Who are you seeking out? Where are you going to seek out new friends? If you think the whole world doesn't like you, have you met every person in the whole world? No. So I mean, (laughs) go to go to a small group, go to a support group, go to a church, start plugging in. Don't you know you got to break out of the victim mindset that says, you know, poor me, uh, you know, everything, the world is against me. You have to start taking those small steps toward community that that you can find, hey, there are people that actually want to help, and there are people that can help you. That's good.
2: So, you know, the topic of fear is an interesting topic, and I really think God is showing me some things about fear. I really don't feel like I've had much, but at different times, you know, when you move, job change, people you don't know, I guess maybe I should mm-hmm. say, yes, I got fear like everybody else. But... Um, but he's, this guy made this statement. He said, I surrender my fear. I don't fight my fear. You know, I don't avoid my fear. I don't act like there is no fear. I surrender
1: my fear. I got it and I surrender it. And you know what? I would even say this is a great mindset for any difficult emotion you have. Mm. I surrender my anger. I surrender my sadness. I surrender my selfishness. I surrender my fear. I, you know, Because what it's saying is um, it's, it's recognizing that feelings in themselves are not bad. If you feel afraid, I mean, I think one of the things that when a person becomes addicted is it, it trains you to think that if you have any of these emotions, run as fast as you can to find relief and medicate. And what this is saying is this is saying I'm going to slow down and I'm going to recognize that feeling these emotions is not what's wrong. It's how I've responded to them that has led to things that are not healthy. And so the idea of saying I surrender my fear, if I feel it, it's okay to be, feel afraid. Mm. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel those emotions. Now what I'm going to do is in the slowing down, how can I redirect where I go that's different from where I used to go in responding to those emotions.
2: Like running, be getting more fearful and all that. Mm-hmm. But if you just say, I'm not going to fight you fear. You're there. I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to the cross to remind myself how the story ends, what's the big picture. So we have a couple of minutes. I'm going to go over three of them at the same time. Then I want you to play off, and we'll close with any of these. A guy said to me, well, my wife's going to be gone for a week on a business trip or some version of that. And I'm going to call a guy every day, and just one day at a time, I'm going to make this statement. I pledge to you that I will be sober for 24 hours. And that could be alcohol. It could be sexually clean for 24 hours. Just I can for one day, because when I'm alone and lonely and it's bad, an opportunity. So that's number one. I pledge to you I'm going to be sober for, for 24 hours. Number two is there are no surprises. If you're an addict and life is hard and difficult, look, there's no surprises. Mm -hmm. This is life, it's difficult. And so don't be surprised. Everything that's happened has happened before. Somebody has some experience with it. There's no like, oh my goodness, how what can this there are no surprises Mm -hmm. in recovery or in life. And then I like this last one. Move a muscle, change a thought. If you sit right here and don't move, you're lost in your thoughts. If you get up and walk outside and move a muscle, Change of thought.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I love the idea of of setting small goals, like I'm going to be sober for 24 hours. Because listen, and this is good for, I think, wives out there to hear, because so many times when, when you've uncovered the secret of what your husband's been involved in, it's, it's, it's perfectly normal and okay to feel that desire of, I need a, I need a promise. You got to promise me this is never going to happen. And, mm. and that's a huge chunk. And so if, if you can break it down into days, like this is, this guy's saying, I think it's great saying, I, I I pledge for 24 hours. This is what I'm focusing on right now, the very next step I need to take. And of course the idea of I'm not surprised, I think is, is wonderful because there's always, um, uh, you know, there's always the idea that there, there's something around every corner that's coming up. And then of course, move a muscle. I think that's great. Sometimes you've got to take action before the emotion follows. Well, folks, we're going to have to wrap it up there, but hopefully these comments have been helpful for you. If you've got some comments you want to make to us about your journey and and want some help along the way, please contact us. And we look forward to having you back here next week on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast.
0: Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.